0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. This is Dave Matter, the zoo beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com. We are without Ben Fredrickson again this week. He'll be back uh, next week, hopefully, but we are joined by a guest. We're really lucky to have a, a good friend of mine and also one of the best, very best, out there covering college football it's Ross Dellinger from the he is from the, the I guess called the national desk at Sports Illustrated he is a college football writer he's been how long Ross have you been in, at Sports Illustrated now
1: it was a uh, it's actually two years like last week um, all right so yeah I'm, I'm on a uh, year two here
0: Ross and I were teammates back at the Columbia Daily Tribune covering Mizzou back in the day and then he went on to um, do it Incredible job covering LSU for for many years down in Baton Rouge, and then made the jump to Sports Illustrated. And I, I think Ross has really been kind of at the forefront here this offseason covering the biggest stories in, in college football. Whether it's the um, the COVID testing, um, the the financial impact that this is all going to have on on college sports, um, just just everything. Coaching changes. You, you've been out front on this and. It seems like there's maybe fewer and fewer national college writers these days, or maybe fewer national outlets, but your coverage has just been been awesome. And I just, um, great to have you on and talk to you about a lot of the stuff that you've been writing about here over the last few months.
1: Thanks, David. I appreciate the compliments. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad to see, like, uh, you know, the positions, obviously, in journalism drying up. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, I was, like, just trying to think of how many print, you know, national college, Um, football writers there there are or or even college sports writers there are and in the list is it is it's sure there's maybe two or three dozen you know um, when they probably used to be in the hundreds
0: yeah now uh ross's wife liz she uh readers listeners might remember her from her days covering uh jeff city politics for the post-dispatch she is just started a new job covering the White House for Newsweek, and uh, I can only imagine that you guys have some pretty interesting dinner conversations on on the days you do see each other, with you covering, you're covering Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban, and she's covering President Trump, so I I imagine there are some uh, fun conversations between the two of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, in fact, last summer, I always tell the story, and I may have, you may have heard it before but last summer I was visiting some school I don't even remember who it was I think it was out west and I told him what she did um that she you know has the politicians and I've got the coaches and uh he said well which one of us lies more and he was true there's a lot of uh, we, we cover a lot of uh, fibbing going on and uh you know it's it's interesting you know she really she did she really enjoyed her days at the post-dispatch and she, she still talks about it uh, I think she was there r- r- roughly two years or so yeah. twelve and thirteen and um yeah she she enjoyed covering the missouri legislature and and we lived in Jeff City for about a year and then we lived in Columbia for about a year and and two very different places but uh, yeah. we we really we really miss missouri and and <laughs> unfortunately uh, I haven't uh and this is not this is gonna sound terrible I haven't had a reason to go co- go back but <laughs> I, I want I've been wanting a reason to go back the last couple of years because I wanna wanted, I wanna wanted visit Missouri again and she does too. And uh maybe uh I don't know, uh, this year probably isn't the year given all this stuff, but um, yeah. but I've I've been hoping and when really wanting to get back there. Uh but we, we really we really loved uh and we lived in downtown Columbia and it was it was an awesome place.
0: My kids still remember you guys as the couple that lived above the comic book shop. <laughs> we'll, we'll drive by there and they'll say, Hey, didn't you, you had friends that lived up there. And I say, yeah, that was Ross and Liz. Oh yeah. I remember them. So there that's, that's your, uh, that's your legacy mm-hmm. as far as uh, my family goes.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever get a, uh, I don't honestly. I don't think we'll ever live in a, a, a better located place in a, in a town, in a city that's, that's uh uh moderately priced you know i mean i mean I, I live in dc now and uh i think about what i paid in rent and where i lived uh and even the space and outdoor space i had there in columbia and i just like face palm like gosh you know it, it would be great but uh yeah are there, some uh were some fun times there
0: well well speaking of of politics and your your wife's beat i i, I think it's interesting that when all of this happened with with covid and everything being shut down in the college football season kind of in in jeopardy like it seemed a few months ago maybe not so much now there did seem to be kind of a political line being drawn where you had the the red states that were more eager to open and you had the blue states that were being more cautious and then even the schools in those regions kind of followed along with with their with their their state and their governors to some degree too where do you feel like things stand right now as far as things opening up? And we, we've got teams are welcoming back their athletes this week for their quote unquote voluntary workouts. We see some schools are testing, mandatory testing, some aren't. But how, what kind of gut feel do you have about not just the season happening, but a full season happening, and happening on time?
1: Well, you're right. It, it, it was, uh, I don't know if it's cause I live in DC now, and it seems like everything here has to do with politics or everything is on political lines, but you, this was definitely, or this has been the, the whole virus and the reopening has definitely been along politi- political lines. Um, you know, you saw the, the SEC in the Southeast, and not just the SEC, people talk about the SEC a lot, but even like the uh, American athletic conference and uh, the Sun Belt, they, I mean, they're, they're starting really early. Um, a lot of them are opening immediately, already open, already having workouts. So the Southeast um, and uh, even some places in the Midwest um, were, were very much uh, reopening quicker, you know, and in there, most of them are red states, you know, and uh, schools were probably, maybe you'd say less cautious or uh, in a hurry or whatever you want to use. They, they were opening back up. Uh, and then out West, you know, talked to some um, uh, ADs and coaches in California, and and some of those places might not open until, or might not welcome uh, players back until uh, July, end of July, yeah. um, you know, mid July, even a, a couple of schools. So, and in the Northeast is is similarly up uh, there in the New York area. Um, you know, it's it's there's a lot of uh, similarities to out west there, uh, and then you got the central uh, of the. Um, of the country, the center of it, which which seems like they're kind of uh, they kind of are along the lines of um, in the middle of both of those things, you know, and so they're opening up. It seems like a lot of them in mid June ish or so, uh, but you do you have you know you have um, not just reopening being all these different time different timelines and everything, but you you, you mentioned it in your question, but you have the uh, protocols for testing being right. different at at different state in different states and different schools you know and there's some sec schools that that aren't you know don't plan to initially test players uh, only testing asymptomatic players and meanwhile there's california schools and in washington oregon schools who not only do they plan to test initially but they plan to also test for the antibody initially and they plan to test frequently once or once a week, once every couple weeks. So, uh, you know, you have so many, and this is why we, (laughs) we really need a a nationwide universal like standard. And I think we're going to get it. Uh, it's just not going to come until probably actual practices start And uh, I'll give it to some places. A lot of doctors do say, you know, if you're not having a lot of high contact, you don't need to test. If you're, if you're not, uh, if players are not symptomatic, um, but we've seen now over the last few days um, all these positive tests at schools uh, be- from asymptomatic carriers, and uh, that's why um, probably that's why pro- most of the doctors you talk to believe that uh, there should be initial testing and frequent testing.
0: Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I thought you did your story last week. I, I learned so much from it. I mean, you just covered so much ground about this these two camps of whether to test everybody before workouts start or to wait and see who is symptomatic. And in Mizzou, really interesting, they have a dramatic shift in their philosophy. They initially were only going to test players who had shown symptoms or were coming from, you know, the so-called hot spots around the country. And in the last, really in the last few days, and Mizzou confirmed this, is that no they're going to have mandatory testing not just for football players but for every athlete before they come back to campus and from what i was told uh from some sources within the university was this came uh from the at the highest level of the university at the president's level uh the system president's level it was the ad and jim Sturk and eli Drinkwitz, football coach they deferred everything to the medical experts on this one to the doctor stephen witt who served on the SEC Medical Task Force, and it was of his opinion that it was not, it, it didn't make scientific sense necessarily to test everybody right when they got back. Their thought was all it takes is one kid the next day to go to a restaurant or go anywhere in town and pick it up and spread it, and then you just wasted you know, $100,000 on tests the previous day. Um, but they have shifted to what we see, I think, I don't I don't know the breakdown but it seems like more schools even in the league are are doing the mandatory testing. Is is that what is LSU doing I, I know they were in Missouri's camp initially but what, what have they changed plans?
1: As of now I don't believe so they're they're just testing symptomatic um, uh, yeah. athletes but they are everybody is getting an antibody test which of course right. doesn't um, doesn't determine if you currently have the virus it determines yeah. if you have had the virus and a lot of that, I think, is because of the potential heart problems that uh, some uh, p- some uh, patients, uh, virus patients, are experiencing. Uh, organ just organ issues, including heart issues, and obviously for an athlete, the, the heart and to doing the conditioning and all that, you you need to to determine if, yeah. if they have any damage there. So I think a lot of so LSU is doing the antibody. I I want to say the only one. I know that it's not doing any initial testing at all unless you're symptomatic. It's Arkansas, but right. there could be more out there. Uh, but I, I think you're right. Everybody's kind of in Mizzou, Mizzou is, um, is, you know, swung back over to doing the testing. Uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to find out, um, what those at the highest level of university, what they heard, uh, maybe it's just a backlash or, or whatnot of, of, um, of their elite announcing that they're not going to test everybody you know yeah. it's it's that's interesting i um you know and and look there's there's um and as i wrote in that story there's there are uh doctors who say hey you know if you're not showing symptoms you you shouldn't test uh everybody right now because of a lot of different reasons uh the, you know shortage of tests the accessibility of tests you know do you want to be um, testing using all these tests on athletes when right. uh, you might you might uh, need them for actual frontline workers. I mean the the you know in Baton Rouge the LSU doctor I spoke to uh, mentioned she worries that she's have a sh- she has a short shortage of tests in her Baton Rouge uh, hospital. So there's that you know there as you mentioned there's like the the whole thing of well what happens on a Monday if they test negative and on a Tuesday they go to a house party and and they get it, it's like, it's worthless to, you know, to test that money, and that, that's gonna happen, you know, I'm sure that's gonna happen. We're, we're gonna see, see that happen. Um, and also there's, there's some other things, like if you contract the virus on a Sunday and get tested on a Monday, it's, it might not show up. Uh, right. The virus might not show up until two or three days later uh, through a test. So, and then there's a the whole thing, you know, if you haven't, and most of these athletes have been asymptomatic, if you have an asymptomatic carrier, how, if he's not coughing and sneezing and all that, how, uh, what's the transmission rate? Is he really right. uh going to, you know, transfer the virus over to others? And again, it just, you get, you get, you have all these questions and we don't really have any concrete answers right now. It's just right. so early. Even doctors don't have any concrete answers. And that's why they kind of disagree on a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And God, I got to think the worst fear is that what if you're what if a quarterback in your quarterback room, you know, gets it and before he shows any symptoms, he he spreads it to the other quarterbacks and you go in and it's game week and you go into a game and you have to quarantine your quarterbacks. I mean, that, that's got to be a fear. Um, what happens if if somebody shows symptoms, you know, the day after a game and then you've your your contact tracing is the 100 guys on the other team you know you gotta you gotta hey if missouri plays tennessee and and a tennessee player tests positive on monday you know does uh jeremy pruitt call eli Drinkwitz and say hey you might want to test all your players our our defensive end tested positive and it's that's got to be the thing that's keeping these these coaches and team doctors up at night um you know just worried because this is there's so many unknowns here and it's not i think people get caught up t- too much and saying, well, these athletes will recover, you know, it's it's for them, it's, they'll, they're young enough, they're strong enough, they'll be able to withstand this, but what about passing it on to staff members, and coaches, and then families, and coaches' families, there's so many other people that touch these kids on a daily basis that they're around, Um, it's not just about the players, and it's, it's going to be a a fascinating season, I, I think if, if everything does start off on schedule for the most part, I think we just, hope and pray that there's not going to be this sudden outbreak and the season has to stop in the middle of it for some teams or all teams or anything like that. That would be just the, the absolute nightmare, I would think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be bad. And I, I think I, I saw, yesterday up here in DC actually. Uh, well, I assume they didn't get together actually. It's probably virtual. There was a virtual hearing in the Purdue yeah. president uh, mentioned something about a, hey, you know, if you he, he was asked by a Senator, if you, if you have an outbreak on your team, what happens? And the Purdue president says, I had to shut it down. Um, you know, if, I don't know what, what the definition of an outbreak is exactly. Uh, but if, if you are going to shut down a team in that case, uh, then that we're going to have we're going to have real problems because you're going to have a lot of teams potentially shutting down and games being canceled and all this stuff. And, and, you know, we did a story last, a month about with the conference commissioners, and they said that is a big worry. And you know, you might have teams that finish at uh, you know uh, conference record at seven and one, and another team finish at five and one because they had to cancel two games because of some kind of virus outbreak and whatever. I mean, that, that's a real concern and in a in a possibility. That I think the hope is that um, you use the the social distancing and the PPE stuff and the what they're calling like the bubble uh I don't know bubble like squads or something bubble groupings where you know you if if you do have a player get it you don't have to test the whole team you can just test their little bubble where they've they've been close to these this group other group and you know it just I think the hope is if you do all that plus have advancements in testing that's kind of the real key which most people expect um Pretty significant advancements in testing, then you won't you won't have some big outbreak. Um, I, I think that is the real hope is the advancement in testing would eliminate that possibility of of having games canceled and such because you would know and you wouldn't play that person or, or whatever, uh, and he wouldn't be able to spread it to others. So you know the, the the bulk testing, as I got into a little bit in that story earlier this week, is. Is coming along the bulk saliva testing where twenty or thirty football players spit in the same like tube and then they test it in you know if it's negative then boom all those people are cleared and you can do it within maybe five, 10, 15 minutes and all all that group is cleared if it's positive then you would have to take an individual test uh, from from each each person so I you know I think all those all those things that's that's the hope um, you know and it, Here's the thing, we're just, we're so far away from kickoff still. Uh, I was talking to a a congressman yesterday who said, you know, we're, and it's a good point, I didn't even think about it, we are farther away from this, right now, we're farther away from the start of the football season as we are deep into the virus, into the pandemic, actually, you know, about two and a half months into the pandemic and we're about three months away from the football season. So his point was about, you know, we have a lot of learning to do and I don't think we're going to get any concrete answers on a lot of this stuff with testing and attendance until maybe in August you know and we're going to have maybe a little bit of a clearer picture
0: yeah and at the same time if if you're talking about starting a season on time you got to start having practices at some point too mm-hmm. you know the, the oversight committee the leagues they all have to make a decision on that it, it's you know July 15th kind of is this magical date that's popped up because that would essentially be 6 weeks before the first game start um and i just we talked to to drinkwitz the other day on zoom last week and and i asked him about that i'm like well, do you have any sense of when you're going to be able to get your hands on your players and be able to actually practice football and you could see the frustration in his face because that's what all these coaches want i mean it's one thing to get them in the weight room with their strength coaches but they want to actually coach football especially at a program like Missouri where they only had three spring practices. So that's something that's going to have to develop here. Or some decisions are going to have to make in the short yeah. term, you know, because you can't have a season without training camp. I mean, that's just worked that way.
1: Right, right. And, you know, for a while I think they've kind of agreed on um, a, a, play, a preseason plan, um, which I, I think could be approved in the next week or two. Uh, I expect to be approved by the D1 council. Uh, The football oversight has a plan that, you know, calls for kind of like a six week training camp where you have two weeks of uh, kind of OTA style style things where you probably won't have like pads and all, but you will be able to do some, some different kind of work, more work than normal. And then that leads into your normal, like four week fall camp. Uh, And that will start. Yeah. That's got to start for teams that, play on week zero it'll start around I think uh, July like 18th or 17th and then for teams that kick off Labor Day on week one I think it'll start around July uh, 25th or or somewhere around there Um, in in that six weeks will kind of start there and then I think starting July 1 this is something that will be probably approved soon too is that you'll have normal at least two or three weeks before that six week starts of normal summer workouts where coaches can actually interact with players for like six to eight hours a week or or whatever the the time is of course right now in June, we just have the voluntary where there's no coaching interaction. So there's like a, there's a elevated kind of step, steps here toward an on-time kickoff, but you know, the, the asymptomatic carrier and and all these virus, the outbreaks can really derail this plan. Um, but there, there certainly is a plan now and I think it'll be approved in the next couple of weeks. And, um, and we'll uh, we'll get, you know, we'll get on a path toward an on-time kickoff with all of our fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. One other topic I want to talk about is, is coaches. And this has been an unprecedented off season. We've seen these people, these millionaire coaches in these positions of power and prestige and high profiles. Um, there's been so much that has happened if you combined COVID with – a lot of the social justice issues that have come up with George Floyd and, and a lot of the movements that are going on with college campuses um, and, and around the country, the protests, we've seen a, a lot of coaches that I think have kind of elevated their place kind of in the, in the social realm with, with some of the statements and things that they have said. And then other coaches have gotten a lot of them too, for how they've handled things. I think in, you just look in the state of Oklahoma alone. You know, Mike Gundy came under attack big time a while back for his comments about getting wanting athletes to get back on campus so they can start pumping money back into the state revenue. And then you saw his, his rival coach, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, had this very nuanced um, sort of cautious approach uh, about returning too soon. And it completely opposite – perspectives and, and I think people looked at those coaches in very different lights after that um what what has struck you what have we learned about some coaches that kind of revealed themselves a little bit through all of this without football instead it's just kind of like endless talking season for for a lot of these guys
1: yeah we we've seen a lot of uh coaches stick their foot in their mouth I, I, back in uh, right into the pandemic probably two or three weeks into the pandemic I I had gotten some calls from s i d s and even some a d s who uh, who said you know you, you this is the problem when coaches have nothing to do you know <laughs> is, is they they talk and everything that comes out of their mouth um, isn't uh, isn't great isn't politically correct uh, and um and it, it it was funny to hear that because it, it really is kind of true and and you saw even since then uh, a lot of uh coaches have said Said things that uh, aren't aren't too smart, as you mentioned. You, you saw the Norvell thing, uh, right? Florida uh, you State, you know, and uh, and and. Uh, but 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 they're they're the opposite. Where uh, yeah, drink what's up in in Mizzou. What Mizzou did kind of has started a little bit of a movement. It it, it would seem, uh in, in the whole registering to vote, uh, and even marching to like the courthouse. You know, I think Texas University of Texas did something similar. Georgia Tech. Uh, We'll take uh, the election day and, and, and have a mandatory kind of off day for all its athletes to vote. Um, I think you're going to see some other schools do that. Uh, I've, I've been under the st- understanding yesterday. I got a couple calls at some other schools plan to release something here soon about the registering to vote thing. Um, and that's great. It's it's pretty awesome to see, actually. Uh, it's, uh, you know, and it, it's kind of been a long time coming that, you um, you know you have a a school get involved um with its players when it comes to anything political, even just voting you just didn't, you don't don't see that haven't seen that yet and certainly a movement and it certainly kudos to to Mizzou for kinda kick starting that thing.
0: I thought it was a really smart move on Mizzou's part, and I thought it was great for for college sports for for them um and I, I, when I first saw the, the images, they first came up on social media, I thought, oh gosh, this looks like a photo op, and I, I don't know if this is going to go over very well, if they're just arching, okay, it's symbolic, but, you know, is there any substance behind it, and, and then you find out at the end, it ended with 62 players registering to vote, and, you know, they may not vote the same party or the same issues that some of their coaches might vote, and that's okay. That wasn't the point, and and what's made that pretty clear, and he also made it very clear. And I thought this was really smart on his part, and it was the it was the truth. So that's uh, he had every incentive to be honest. This was not a coach-led drive for publicity. This was a, a player-led drive um, to to make a difference and to use their platform. So I think going forward, I think the smart coaches are going to be the ones who kind of co-op that platform instead of getting in the way of it instead of trying to you know flex their muscles and say hey this is my show not yours uh, I, w- I was impressed with the statements that Tom Herman put out right when all of this started uh, last week and then what he did like you mentioned with uh, the Texas players marched on their campus in downtown Austin and he kind of gave their players you know a platform to speak about some issues is African American players so kudos to those teams that are doing and I think the smart coaches are the ones who can kind of see the value in this not just from a PR side of it which is inevitable I mean they're all going to have their in-house photographers and videographers mm-hmm. there filming this and using it which it it is smart for recruiting to do but I think the genuine ones really mean it when when they say this is you know the right thing to do and um, it's it's good for zoo writers that'd be i guess <laughs> covering uh their program on the right side of these decisions we've seen it on on the other side mm-hmm. in the past for sure
1: well it also gives you some content i mean there are no live events so exactly. it, it gives exactly. you something interesting to write about uh but you know you, i hate to be uh, take a cynical approach but if i were to yeah it you know certainly for recruiting this this does yes. great things it's it's uh right as you mentioned, you know, you have your videographer, you have your photographer there, um, you, you have your school account tweeting. I mean, all of that obviously does does great things for recruiting. So that, that right. certainly, uh, there's there's really right now, especially with this whole movement and everything, there, there's no downside to, to doing all this. I don't right. think there's really a downside. So you might, um, I guess in a way, you might turn off some of the uh, older generation of, of donors and fans I could I could see that happening but um, it's to the point now where I, I think um, administrators and coaches just kind of shrug at that and everybody kind of understands that this is the the right thing to do so it's it has been kind of cool to see um, this this movement happening across uh, college athletics
0: yeah one one last thing for you Ross it, it, let's let's eliminate covid let's eliminate the the probability or the possibility that there's not a season. What's something in the SEC that it, that you're most excited to write about or to cover this coming season um, in, in the conference, assuming that football will go on, you know, as planned?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I haven't even thought about. Oh, it's so football, at
0: the right? back burner right it, now. It's crazy. It's,
1: I know. It's like. Uh... I was in a radio show like a couple I maybe mean, a week or two ago and he he half of the show was about, you know, the COVID stuff and then the last half he wanted to talk about like football. So if he was asking me questions and I honestly I didn't know. I didn't and some of the players he said I didn't even know. I was like, Oh, I don't even remember who does he play for. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's just like I'm so immersed in the in the, the business side, of the NIL and the and the COVID stuff that I haven't even read much about preseason stuff. I'll I know, I know I'll get that preseason magazine and, and have to start pouring through it. Uh But you know, I mean, just first of all, we and we we mean you talked about it uh, off the air. But what's going on in Mississippi obviously is is of interest. Uh, It's it's I'm from the Mississippi coast originally. Went to Mississippi State. Have visited Ole Miss and State over the years, and have visited their new coaches this spring actually before the pandemic. And it's going to be fun to see how um, all of that happens there with uh, with the Egg Bowl rivalry and everything that's. you know, it's been so toxic and each have new coaches, which are both coaches who are both uh, very active uh, on, on social media and have their very strong opinions and certainly have exciting offensive systems. So that's exciting to watch. Um, You know, a big overarching thing for the last, I don't know, uh, three, five, seven years, maybe even Georgia in, in Alabama have been at the top of the league and, and battling it out basically at least it's since Kirby has gotten to Georgia. So roughly five, four or five years. And it's curious, you know, LSU knocked Alabama off last year and it, in Florida under Dan Mullen seems like it's coming along and Tennessee under Pruitt seems like they're coming along. So you wonder if, uh, if we're seeing a little shift in, in, in power, can Tennessee or Florida knock off Georgia? Can LSU continue or maybe Auburn, uh, uh, to to maybe um, keep uh, keep Alabama down. Um, so I wonder yeah. if we're seeing maybe a little bit of a shift. We see it every five to seven years in the SEC. You know, you know, the days in the '90s of uh, Tennessee and Florida battling it out um, in in the uh, in the East, and in you saw uh, in the West. You know, uh, Auburn obviously had their day. You just see a lot of shifting going on. It's so I wonder if we're seeing a a new shift. You know, and, and yeah. so that's certainly something to watch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you on the Egg Bowl. I wish just in case like the season gets shut down, can they move that to like week one, like playing <laughs> against Mike Leach, so make sure we don't miss it. I know the buildup will be great, but those teams might not be very good by, by late November. That game might be sort of irrelevant outside of the rivalry, but yeah, that, I think that's the storyline to watch outside of LSU and Alabama and Georgia, Florida, but that uh the riders down there should be should be entertained covering lane and and leach for sure
1: yep yeah definitely it's it's going to be um if they ever do play uh it's it's <laughs> it's going to be f- for sure uh fun to watch i know that mizzou goes to uh mississippi state this year so yeah. again you don't know how the travel is going to be or the attendance or whatever and and everything but um you know starfield gets a doesn't get the best, uh, hasn't had the best reputation. Uh, but of course, I went to school there, so I'm biased. And, um, it's a, it's a fun place and certainly is, is, um, really unique when it comes to like the, the environment and the cowbells and all that. But you just, of course, we don't know. Uh, we don't know, you know, how it's going to be. Yeah. It's uh, going to be a storyline throughout the season is this attendance issue. And, and I just saw, it as we're talking, I'm looking at Twitter and I just saw, you know, uh, Scott Strickland in Florida. I just, uh, Told the Orlando Sentinel that, um, or I guess he maybe said this yesterday, but he told them that uh, you know fans will not, uh, they won't have a decision on fans until early to mid August, and I heard the same thing from South Carolina's AD Ray Tanner. It'll be mid August. It's just, yeah, they're going to delay this as late as they can. Um, Right. So we follow be a whole storyline throughout the whole season.
0: Absolutely, there's going to be season ticket, you know, buyers and students who aren't going to know till shortly before kickoff if they'll have a seat at at stadiums this year it's going to be wild yep absolutely all right ross well hey this was a lot of fun great to catch up i don't know if we'll cross pass in atlanta for uh, sec media days as of while we record this that is still on we who knows (laughs) if it will actually happen in person it might go virtual like like every other uh media day seems to be but um hope to hope to cross pass in person soon enough
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. David's been good, man. I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. We'll see you soon. We want to thank Ross Dellinger Sports Illustrated for joining us. Hopefully uh, you learned a little bit more about the uh, college football storylines across the nation as we go through this off season and try to figure out uh, if there will be football this fall. It seems like there's going to be, but it's going to look different for sure. And it's going to uh, maybe fewer fans in the crowds this year and, schedules might change between now and, and kickoff in uh in late august early september so i uh, just want to remind our listeners uh if you're not already subscribing to I and the tigers please subscribe uh to the podcast you can find it at any of your podcast providers out there uh, leave us a comment or two uh, hopefully they're they're good comments but we will always accept your constructive criticism uh ben fredrickson will be back next week uh, and we will look forward to getting back together on the podcast and uh talking more about mizzou sports college sports and anything else that unfolds between now and then all right thanks for listening